hold the silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 5th of November 2009. Now newcomers should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. Scroll down, you'll see the official sites I have. These are my sites and anything out there with my name on it is not mine. It is not on that site, on that front page of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I also should mention, too, that anything that's being sold under my name from any other place except from these sites on cuttingthroughmetries.com is bogus as well. So you should be very discerning in this day and age, especially when you have a lot of enemies out there. And you can see in cuttingthroughmetries.com, there's cuttingthrough.jenkins.com, there's cuttingthroughthematrix.net, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.us, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.ca, Alan Watt, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.ca, and Alan Watt, Sentinel.eu. Now, the last site is a European site, has the same audios for download for free as all the others, but as addition of transcripts of some of the talks I've given, written in the various languages of Europe. And I always mention that it's up to the listener to keep me going. And I'm sure I should stagger this throughout the show because we will skip over the first five minutes to know what's coming. Because they don't like to hear this part. Uh, most people, there's thousands and thousands out there use this stuff, but they never uh, donate anything my way at all. And that's the, the modern society we live in. But it's up to you to keep me going by donating to me or buying that, which I have for sale on my website. Because no one else is backing me. And the ads on this show are paid by the advertisers straight to RBN for the airtime and for their equipment and staff and their bills and all the rest of it. So therefore, there's nobody funding me. I don't make money off advertising. That's how hosts generally do make their cashes from the advertisers. Uh, each time they bring them on or, or they mention the names, they get paid for it. That's how it works. But then you're sort of compromised if you go that way because of certain things. Maybe along the line you'll be asked about a certain thing or even a product and you can't answer honestly about it. If you're compromised, you'd be biting the hand that feeds you. So it's up to you to keep me going by, by it's always the same people too, that just make me crawl along here. Thank goodness for them. But uh, it's up to you to keep me going by donating to me, and uh, you'll see how to do it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. You'll also see um, a lot of people getting discs, they're burned for them, they don't use computers, they play it on their CD players. Once in a blue moon, one manages to get in touch with me when they find out where I am. And uh, they, they also like to order the books or else donate. So you can do that by writing to Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estair, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, 4, N as in Nora, the number 1. And remember, as I say, Outside of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, that front page where it shows you my other sites, I have no other sites at all. 
don't have any chat rooms or anything like that. So beware out there. There's a lot of malicious people out there in this day and age, and crazy ones too. We're going into this, uh, we're not, we're well into this new world order actually, this phase of it. We're actually coming out of the old phase of the last new world order and going into the next new world order. And it's a time predicted back in the 1800s when they tossed about the idea of democracy and what it would mean for the people. Because they, they knew back then that democracy really could only be won by those with the largest organizations. If you weren't in the big organizations, you'd have no voice. Back with more on this topic after this break. through the matrix talking about democracy and you have to go back into the 1800s really to to find out how media was managing the minds of the people at that time and media at that time of course made its money primarily off uh, through advertising and they get all they get all, give a lot of free ads under the guise of of write-ups like news to the big big um clients that they had and it, towards the, the end of the 1800s they talked about democracy, democracy, democracy and how it would affect uh, the power structures and at that time the US was run by what they called the robber barons, these were the big barons of industry and money, commerce and banking and once in a while these guys would get together at that time uh, towards the latter part of the 1800s and they'd collapse the, the, the economy uh, sometimes just to get rid of competitors, and then they'd buy up uh, the stocks for peanuts. They become worthless, and they buy them up. Well, along with that comes now a vacant factory or a factory fully stocked to produce or whatever, and they kept building up their wealth. But they got such a bad name that they had to remake themselves, and they brought in PR specialists, basically, to give them a good image to the public. And suddenly these crooks. Uh, crooks that would turn, get the militia turned out on miners, for instance, like Rockefeller did, uh, overnight was transformed into a great philanthropist. Then they all became philanthropists. And they banded with the other philanthropists that already ruled England, uh, London, I should say, and a good part of the world uh, through the empire. And uh, they all became philanthropists, all these big money barons. Uh, it's worked so well because, you see, this is the parallel government that the Royal Institute of International Affairs is comprised of, uh, the big banking boys, really, very old, old families. And they came about because of the merger of two groups, and that was uh, a Rothschild-Cecil Rhodes organization that became the Rhodes Foundation for World Government that sent out people to literally take up the resources to get patents and take up the resources of the world especially in diamonds, gold, and all sorts of minerals and goodies. They teamed up with the Alfred Milner group, Lord Alfred Milner, guy who was born in Germany, in fact, uh, who headed this British system, and uh, with the Round Table Society, which was belonged to the Milner group, they merged and created the Royal Institute for International Affairs, that 
is under a royal charter to exist, therefore it's responsible to the royalty, which is not responsible to the people or government. But even today a lot of bills go through their orders in council, basically. They go right to the Queen and she will sign them into law, similar as to, as to what the President of the US can do or the Prime Minister of Canada. But they made themselves over a total makeover, as I say, these barons of industry, and they never stopped because they decided they wanted to transform the world into what they wanted. And being economists and all, they decided on ideal populations, for one thing. And already having conned a lot of the public, again, by they owned the media, <laughs> so they could put great reports out about their, their, their charitable organizations, they could start steering the public along certain ways of thinking and so on. They were responsible for giving us the type, the type of educational system that would create a particular culture. And if you go into the, as I say, the history of media, the media, into the 1800s, you'll find all of this stuff accounted for what they were doing. And they've never stopped. They've, they've really run the world as parallel government with their massive foundations because the guys who own the foundations are the internationalists. They are the big banking boys. And they fund hundreds of front organizations and other foundations specializing in different areas of social control, really. And yet they have such a wonderful time because just like then, today they get great write-ups in the, the general authorized media, which are really just big ads. They call them puffs, they call them, they used to call them puffs when they gave them free ads, a whole page, a beautiful write-up about how wonderful they were. It was actually called a puff. And they still do it. But the problem is, you see, it's conned a lot of the people of the world who can't tell fact from fiction. They can't tell what really is the agenda. They can't tell that these wolves in sheep's clothing have big plans for them, and they bypass all parliaments except when they put their own men on the boards of parliament. And they're unelected by the people. They shape all policies. They have massive lobby groups. This is what they mean. When they talk about democracy, this is what they mean by democracy. Those with the biggest bucks and the biggest organizations and organizational ability and who can lobby government full-time and even put their own boys in, in government when they want to. That's what they mean by democracy. And when these characters that run on economics look at populations, they want to really bring them down. Mucho quicko. And they go into action and get laws passed. These are internationalists too. They have their branches across the whole planet. Bringing us all along. I always get a picture of a a tugboat, tugboat that pulls the ships with all these different chains behind it, with all the other countries in tow, all going in the same direction. That's how they, they, they organize things. It's the most organized, or, in fact, it is the only organized organization on the planet, beyond even governments. And many of the top members are members of intelligence services. And many of them have been members of intelligence services. You can't have a nation today and have a secure intelligence service because they're all infiltrated by each other. <laughs> so they're one big intelligence service at the top. Now, the Old Thinker News is a good website. 
And they have written an article about the foundations and their impact and where they're taking us. November 2nd, 2009, by Daniel Taylor. It says, tax-exempt foundations, banks, and philanthropic organizations have been hard at work in the United States for, for decades, it's actually over 100 years, molding the country to their liking. True. The schooling system, media, medical institutions, the foreign policy of the United States have all been influenced by them. Today, these foundations are partnering with global banking powerhouses. Well, it's either in they are the powerhouses of banking, in order to create the Global Impact Investing Network, GIN for short, G-I-I-N, GIN, where they're drunk on your money, which aims to spearhead a new form of investment. The GIN, headed by Anthony Bug Levine, current director of the Rockefeller Foundation, will help solve social and environmental problems by encouraging investment that will bring both profit and produce real-world change. Now, these are the philanthropists, remember? These big investors who own banks. You've always known they've really been into helping you, right? You all know that, right? This is, this is a, according to the GIN website, the Global Impact Investing Network was conceived in October 2007 when the Rockefeller Foundation gathered a small group of investors to discuss the needs of the emergent impact investing industry. On the website, it states, in June 2008, a broader group of 40 investors from around the world met to discuss what it would take for the impact investing industry to be able to solve more social and environmental challenges with greater efficiency. I know what they mean, but I hope you all do too. Since already have stated time and time again, there's too many people. They're organized behind a number of initiatives, including a creation of a global network of leading impact investors, the development of a standardized framework for assessing social and environmental impact, and the development of a working group of investors focused on sustainable agriculture in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, they, they use the IMF. No, these are all part of the big same clique. So in other words, the establishment is seeking to direct the wealth of the world's most powerful foundations and individuals towards the realization of their agenda. This has already been happening for decades in a shrewd and veiled manner, but this new initiative is an open gathering of these globalist interests. The GIIN will undoubtedly be used as a public relations stunt for banks and moneyed elites to brush up their strained image through socially conscious investments. If it succeeds, the GIIN will attempt to mold industry and business by screening out investments for CO2 emitters and others deemed to be unworthy. And remember, too, these are the guys who are in charge of the carbon emissions and the carbon taxes and the carbon credits and all that stuff. Remember that. Don't forget that for a second. So they're eliminating all, all competition that's not theirs. Everything that's not theirs is getting eliminated. A few of the banks and organizations involved in, with GIN include Acumen Fund, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Calvert Foundation, Capricorn Investment Group, Citigroup, Deutsche Bank, uh, Equilibrium Capital, Generation Investment Management, Grey Ghost Ventures, IGNIA, JP Morgan, London for Africa, Lunt Family, Family Office, Armenia, I think that is, Omidyar Network, Prudential, the Rockefeller Foundation, Root Capital, Shorebank, NCIF, Trans Century, Priodos Investment Management, and Wolfenson and Company. 
Some of the same individuals and organizations involved with the Global Impact Investing Network recently met in New York on May of 2009 at the home of Sir Paul Nurse, president of Rockefeller University. According to the London Times, it says the meeting was so secret that some of the billionaires' aides were told they were at security briefings. Now, it first broke out in the, in the Irish newspaper, and I read that on the air, and told you who attended as well, and that their whole agenda was overpopulation. They've got to do something about it. David Rockefeller, Jr., Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, George Soros, who else? Michael Bloomberg, Ted Turner, and Oprah Winfrey were all in attendance. The Times reports over dinner they discussed how they might settle on an umbrella cause that could harness their interests and continued uh, that overpopulation was a priority. The people who give you your thoughts, like Oprah, what do you think she's there for? Who do you think put her there back after this break? Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix, reading from Old Thinker News, a very good article on the big boys, the ones that run the parallel government and shape the opinions of the public, and, and even get millions of youngsters all working towards an agenda they think understand, but haven't a clue about. They certainly don't know the real purpose of it, or where it's really to take them, but that's always the way with followers anyway, isn't it? You must create a kind of religious feeling, and get them all to work for you. It says here, indeed, this group had and has currently is acting as an alternative world government. While these foundations aren't busy partnering with global banking institutions, which are part of the Secretary General of the United Nations, is praising their influence in supporting the activities of the UN. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon was asked, and he says, some say the emergence of super-rich philanthropies like the Gates Foundation has undermined the effectiveness of the UN and its member organizations, like the World Health Organization, and Moon said this, on the contrary, this is what we really want, contributions from the business community as well as philanthropies. We need to have political support, but it doesn't give us all that we need. Non-governmental organizations and philanthropies and many foundations, such as Bill Gates Foundation, they're taking a very important role, I'd say. The United Nations stands in the center of mobilizing and raising awareness of climate change. So here you have overpopulation, climate change, and at the bottom you've got all these, these banking boys, you know, the guys who love to invest in things because they love humanity, uh, dealing with the carbon credits and all the rest of it. And so for some of these groups involved in raising awareness of climate change, altruistic motives seem to fade into the background when we find that significant financial gain will be reaped from carbon trading schemes and other new financial programs. In 2004, uh, Mr. Allegory himself teamed up with David Blood, former head of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, to form Generation Investment Management, appropriately deemed Blood and Gore. I mean, you could make this stuff up, eh? You couldn't make this stuff up in a sci-fi. The firm which Gore chairs is involved with various green instruments, green, maybe it's moldy, including carbon credits. Gore's promotion of a carbon tax system carries obvious conflicts of interest. Additionally, GIM is one of the top 10 shareholders of the Chicago Climate Exchange. Gore's Generation Investment Management, which is a founding member of GIIN, is listed in the GIIN report, Investing for Social and Environmental Impact, as a prime example of impact investing. 
So it's um, that's quite a good article here. But there's so much on these characters. They've, they've run the world for such a long, long time with a technique that most folk were oblivious of through charitable or fronts, you say. Always under the guise, we're here to help you, kind of like Freemasonry. The once in a blue moon stages some charitable event. See, it's, it's, it's all connected, you see, in, in actuality. <laughs> but the public haven't a clue. The public haven't a clue. And really, it bypasses all democracy at the same time. And all these NGOs come out and march when they're told to march and wave their banners all factory-made and all identical across the planet and demand from the governments the very thing that the governments are waiting to hear them demand. And then they say, well, the people have spoken and we have to answer them and they sign something into law. This is how it's been done for an awful long time, bypassing the people altogether. That's how it's done. And people say, well, there's no conspiracy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, there isn't a conspiracy. H.G. Wells said it was the open conspiracy. They publish stuff in very old books that no one reads. They tell you what their goals are. They told us in the 1800s what their goals were going to be and their objectives were going to be. And no uncertain terms. And they also told us in their own writings back in that time what they really thought of the general public. But the public are oblivious. They're too busy watching American Idol or whatever else is the latest fear thing that's getting put in front of them. Quite something. And then it falls right in with Gore's spiritual argument on climate. And it's World BB News, it's called BB News. Posted November 2nd, 2009. Nobel winner adepts face fact-based uh, fact in a message to reach those who believe they have a moral duty to protect the planet in our choice, a plan to solve the climate crisis. Al Gore's much-anticipated sequel to An Inconvenient Truth is published today with an admission that facts alone will not persuade Americans to act on global warming. <laughs> Something I got snow today. Yeah. That at New Zealand too are here in some places. And that appealing to their spiritual side is the way forward. See, it is a religion. And I read that article yesterday about the judge and how he said that uh, this idea, this, uh, this whole thing on uh, ecology is, is a faith-based thing. It's a religion. And that ties in with Gorbachev saying we're creating a new earth-based religion or be earth-based. It had to be earth-based, based in nature and so on. And his latest book, Our Choice, A Plan to Solve the Climate Crisis, the man who won the Nobel prize in 2007 for his touring uh, slideshow, Alfred's slideshow, on disappearing polar ice and other consequences of climate change concludes simply laying out the facts won't work. And by the way, that's all been exposed as utter rubbish. Disappearing is actually getting thicker. But facts don't matter when you're preaching a religion, you see. Instead, Gore tells Newsweek magazine in a pre-publication interview that he has been adapting his fact-based message put out by hundreds of volunteers the NGOs to appeal to those who believe there's a moral or religious duty to protect the planet I've done a Christian based training program I have a Muslim training program and a Jewish training program coming up also a Hindu program coming up I train 200 Christian ministers and leaders here in Nashville in a version of the slideshow that is filled with 
scriptural references. See, they'll use everything. That's what was beautiful about holy books. These characters are, are the past masters, and I mean that, past masters, of, of using religions for their own agenda. They've been doing it for centuries and centuries. And they're at it still. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. And I hope people realize that the big organization that really runs and owns the planet owns all the politicians across the planet at the same time. They have for a long, long time. That's why every country is on board with uh, make us all poor as they fight climate change, which doesn't really exist at all. Even Al Gore had to come out with a partner in his new book and say that CO2 wasn't the main problem. This is the same guy, Gore member, uh, that uh, said we have to overstate our facts. Now, well, now you're supposed to believe him now. Now he's telling the truth now. A guy who constantly lies. <laughs> because it's a, a battle for the mind, isn't it? That's what everything's about. A battle for the mind. Ongoing. And they certainly have enough press uh, because they own... All these boys connected with them own the press. CNN money. George Soros. China is a positive force. George Soros. What, what a history this guy's got. That's from June the 7th, 2009. It says, Financial George Soros said on Sunday that China's global influence is set to grow faster than most people expect, with its isolation from the global financial system and a heavy state role in banking aiding as a relatively swift economic recovery. Then he prattles on about the, the glories of China. You know, this is a guy who thinks that China is the model state for the world, but we've already copied them and their one-child policy. The one-child policy, by the way, um, is not written in stone. If you can afford a second child, meaning you're one of the better types, you've proven eugenically you're better because you're richer, then you can have a second or third child or more. Uh, and you get a little uh, fee you have to pay. Stuff called a fine, you get a kind of fee you have to pay to allow yourself to, because you'd be naughty as you wink to each other from the government to them. That's how it's done, you know. It's all Darwinism for survival of the fittest, you see. And apart from that, these boys, really, all these big boys own the economy of China. They own the economy of China. It was just the same as the Soviet Union. Technically, it was supposed to have um, its own bank, really, that coined everything and, uh, and there could be no competition. But that's not true. They allowed private banks. The only, the only thing that stipulated, in fact, was that they could not make profit off people's labor. Now, you can imagine a bunch of lawyers, and that's what runs this world in a sense, uh, uh, getting something like that and going to work on it. They'd redefine everything, wouldn't they? And they did, of course. And then when the Soviet Union uh, decided to move into its partnership and merge with the West, and that's what it was all about when the Berlin Wall just suddenly fell down. Uh, 
there was articles appearing in the mainstream media. One was on a Mr. Solomon, who was a cousin of the Garothschild, who run the biggest bank all through the Soviet era. And he was making off for millions and billions of money, of U.S. dollars, too, in the Soviet Union, and, and going back to, to, going over to London at the time, surrounded by a private army. And China is the same. China did not pull itself up from nothing by its bootstraps. Didn't do it. It takes money and power in this world to bring them up. They were given technology by the GATT Treaty. They were given the, the, the opportunity to have all the industries of the West transported to them, set up, and production starting there. They were given all the loans to get everything happening through the GATT Treaty. They borrowed that money. They signed deals you'll never even hear of with the big boys. And that's why the big boys have no fear of them at all. They own China. They own it lock, stock, and barrel. You would never have an elite of the West giving away its ability to rapidly change over manufacturing into war machinery to protect you. They would never give away that right unless they were absolutely 100% convinced that China would never be a threat to them. And how would you do that? You own China. You own it lock, stock, and barrel. And you have people up at the top of China making sure they've got their finger in every pie, they've got their ear in every conversation that goes on, because they micromanage everything. They always have. They micromanage the West, too. So you can read that article, CNN Money. And it's interesting, too, from, I think it's Wired magazine, wired.com, the U.S. needs hit squads and manhunting agencies, a spec ops report. This is November the 3rd, 2009. CIA Director Leon Panetta got into hot water with Congress after he revealed an agency program to hunt down and kill terrorists. A recent report from the U.S. military's Joint Specials Operation University argues that the CIA didn't go far enough. Instead, it suggests the American government should set up something like a national manhunting agency to go after jihadists, drug dealers, pirates, and other enemy, enemies of the state. Now, I don't know if you looked at Britain recently. Everything follows Britain because they always started there first. And we copied all secondly. And now you have local councils getting into all your data. They can confiscate your house and everything. They, go, they bypass the police under terrorism laws. So never take something at face value as the reason that they want to give you something. Every law that gets put on the books is meant to expand into what it was really set out to do, not the plausible one that you will accept. It says here, America's military intelligence and law enforcement agencies have already devoted thousands of people and billions of dollars to tracking down top terrorists and insurgents, but even the most successful of these efforts, like going after Iraqi militant leader Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, have been ad hoc efforts with units cobbled together from different corners of the government. Uh, report author and retired Lieutenant Colonel George Crawford instead would like to see a permanent group with clear authority, training, doctrine, and technology to go after these dangerous individuals. These man-hunting teams would be standing formations, 
trained to pursue their designated quarry relentlessly for as long as required to accomplish their mission. And then it just goes on and on, as I say, with, with these kind of um, incredible draconian things that are being put out today for, for, for the governments to do. Remember, every law that gets put in the books has an ulterior purpose. Every one of them. There'd be mayhem if they just went out and did it. There'd be some sort of backlash, at least from the, the sheep out there. Even the sheep get a little ticked off once in a while. So you're given something that's plausible. And we float through our lives we, in a hypnotic state, bombarded with data, most of it trivia and, and useless. And this is just another bit of information that passes through their heads. Oh, it's to go after terrorists and, and, and stuff like that, you know? That's what it's really for, isn't it? Here's an article here to show you where it goes. The Times Online, October 28, 2009. It says here, Draconian police powers designed to deprive crime barons of luxury lifestyles are being extended to councils, quangos, and agencies to use against the public, the Times has learnt. The right to search homes, seize cash, freeze bank accounts, and confiscate property will be given to town hall officials, that's say local councillors, and civilian investigators employed by organisations as diverse as Royal Mail, the Mail, the Rural Payments Agency, and Transport for London. The measure being pushed through by Alan Johnson, the Home Secretary, comes into force next week and will deploy some of the most powerful tools available to detectives against fair dodgers, dodging your fare. They only confiscate your home <laughs> and property on a bus. Families in arrears with council taxes, that, they're on the list as well, and other minor offences. They don't need the police now. They're all becoming their own police forces. See, that's really what I see. The radical extension of the proceeds of Crime Act through a statutory instrument, which is not debated by Parliament, sees they don't even go through Parliament for these things now, has been condemned by the Chairman of the Police Federation, Paul McKeever. He said that he was shocked to learn that the decision to hand over intrusive powers to people who were not police was made without consultation or debate. The proceeds of Crime Act is a very powerful tool in the hands of police. But you think that, that someone who was broke and couldn't afford their taxes, their property, would go under proceeds of crime? Well, that's what they're going for. See, it's nothing of what they tell you on the, on the bill. He said it shouldn't be treated lightly. Mr. McKeever said this is a behind-the-scenes creep of powers occurring here, and I think the public will be very surprised. I wish they would. I'd love to see the public surprised. They would want very intrusive powers to be kept in the hands of warranted officers and other law enforcement bodies which are vetted to high standard rather than give to local councils. These concerns are shared by, legal, uh, by leading legal figures who believe there's a risk of local authorities abusing the powers to search people's homes, seize their money, freeze their accounts and confiscate their property. They also see parallels with the spread of counter-terrorism surveillance powers to monitor refuse, that's garbage collection, and school catchment areas. I'm not kidding, it's getting utterly... It's, uh, this is a dictatorial age to be, that uh, Lenin said we'd be, be going to after the dictatorship of the so-called proletariat. There'd be so many agencies all standing in, in, on each other's toes and each other's territories, all going for the booty out there, the loot, you see? 
his wide-ranging confiscation powers were given to police and law enforcement bodies in 2003 to seize the cash and property from drug dealers, people trafficking and money launderers. They were viewed as Al Capone powers, a means of getting at the Mr. Biggs of organized crime by seizing wealth accrued from criminality. But what they go going after, people that can't afford tax. People who put uh, too much stuff in their garbage bin. You're now a felon. And they're training children to report on all of this stuff. And people think somehow we can go back. How are we going to go back to any other lifestyle? How? Tell me. And since this is backed by those at the top of government, then it tells you who those guys at the top of government really work for. It certainly has never been the people. Never, ever been the people. Never will be for the people either. The Tower of Babel is so crooked and corrupt and always was, held together by crazy glue and band-aid, that you can't fix it. It's rotten from its very foundation. Always was. It's only getting so high now in its corruption that it's teetering a bit, you see. And you can't fix something as badly bust as that. Can't be done. Can't be done. You have to demolish it before it falls on all of us. It says here, another article, too, it all fits in with the articles that's coming in about um, the advocation of uh, uh, culling the populations in Africa. That's coming out openly now through, they have to be taught a lesson. I'll, I'll put up the Wise Up article on that. But again, these are all happening. These are handouts to the press, emotional things. To get us used to predictive programming, that this, oh, people will argue in their homes about it, like I mentioned the other night. We get emotional and someone will say, well, maybe they're right. I've watched all these David Suzuki programs and, you know, uh, and, and they don't realize they're getting their opinions through lying. They never go into the whole story of why there's famine here or famine there. Never. Never. They never tell you that most of the famines they've had in Africa were always due to wars funded by the West. Divide and conquer, divide and conquer. They said when, when Kissinger put through that bill, on the greatest enemy to the state was overpopulation and they targeted up a whole list of countries they said they could never let them uh, emerge into economic uh, viable countries like the United States so they'd always have to divide and conquer but they're pushing overpopulation as a problem here's an article here on euthanasia it comes out at the same time everything comes out at the same time that means there's an intelligence behind a lot of the releases that are kind of, kind of related, you see. Doctors admit to practicing slow euthanasia on terminally ill patients. 29th of October 2009, one in five doctors admit to keeping terminally ill heavily sedated until they die, in what critics have called slow euthanasia. A poll of nearly 3,000 doctors found that 18.7% had administered drugs to keep patients suffering from painful conditions such as cancer unconscious for hours at a time. Subject to continuous sleep uh, or deep sedation, many slip into a drug-induced coma before dying, perhaps days earlier than they would have done. It's often given without the patient or the family being fully appraised of the consequences. Now, the way this is presented is making you think, it's, well, it's a good thing, really, isn't it? They don't wake up. So they're not telling you they can keep you going for an awful lot more time in a few days 
with a lucid mind and without pain with other medications. If they want to. This is meant to get you to side with them. You can never read an article at face value. You would ask, why is this here? What are similar articles appearing across the world at the same time in major media? Why is it all there at the same time? There's always a reason for it. And it's to really end up through people at home having arguments and the predominant theory being chosen is your opinion. And that works so well. Again, it's a technique that even Bernays talks about. Because Bernays, got, remember, who gave really the consumer society to America, the guy who helped de- degenerate the society of America too, with, a, with, a, with full intention, it wasn't just for money or for advertisers either. He worked with governments and the culture industry. He, he went through these techniques of how you change society to sell your product or, or idea. In other words, opinion. See, an opinion is a product when it's peddled by the mainstream media. And people don't realize that. We're given our opinions. I've quoted the ones from, from Aldo Huxley, Lord Bertrand Russell, and other big players who said that. We shall give the people their opinions. Brzezinski, in between two ages, says shortly the public will be unable to reason for themselves. They'll expect the media to do their reasoning for them. He meant giving you your opinion. And Huxley went on to say, too, in his book, that uh, many of his books, in fact, that the people have no idea uh, that how, or how or why they're arriving at their opinions or who's giving it to them. I'll be back with more of this after these messages. Through the Matrix. And a caller there, Megan from Pennsylvania. Are you there, Megan? Yes, I am. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? All right. Uh, I just wonder, what's the deal with spies? You know, you hear of Israeli and Chinese and other countries stealing information from the United States. Yeah. I just wondered if we're all global, is this a joke? It is and, a joke, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'll take your answer off the air. Thank you. Yeah, a half a long time ago, uh, it was the same with Masonic groups. There's different groups infiltrated other Masonic groups to, to make sure there's one standard Masonic group. Um, it's the same thing with spying agencies. Uh, spies, when they set up, their first job is to infiltrate the, the opposition spies and become one of them. Uh, and this has always been the way of it. Uh, therefore, um, when you look at how they set up the OSS uh, for World War II, they combined the British uh, Secret Service, basically. That was really the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It was their headquarters. They used, in fact, because they were this, the hub of all intelligence gathering for the whole of the British Empire. And still are, actually, I think. But um, they formed the OSS, and they brought all the other guys in from Europe who primarily had been communists in those countries uh, and formed the OSS. And then the, the, that became split up again after World War II, supposedly, but they were tied at the hip under agreement to share intelligence. 
uh, and uh, the, the, the ones who were basically Trotskyites brought in from Europe as spies uh, went back off into the European countries some went to Israel, some went to different places back to the Soviet Union even and they're all sharing intelligence you cannot have uh, a secret society today at that high level and remain secret it's impossible it's absolutely impossible and I've signed agreements and agreements and agreements all throughout the Cold War which really bound them closer and closer and closer together we have been global for a long time in fact you have to go in to the treaty that they signed in San Francisco after World War II and if you really really read it all uh, if you can get a bail, get it all. If, if you can get a hold of it all, you'll see that every leader signed away his country's sovereignty. Every leader that signed that agreement signed away sovereignty. The only thing was the public weren't to know really for an awful long time. Initially, they tested that out with the public. That a lot of the, sign, the signatories wrote books about how wonderful it would be. They were even writing it during World War II before they signed the deal. And saying we're going to bring in world governments. In fact, they're all interested. I said they're going to bring in world government back in the 1930s. I have their books here. So uh, you can't have world governments uh, with countries going off on, on their own. Everybody who signed that must share all high intelligence. Or you're called a rogue nation. A rogue nation is someone that signed their agreement and then, and then changed their mind. If you change your mind, they go after you with a vengeance and destroy you. So, yeah, you cannot have the uh, independent countries when your whole purpose is to bring in a, a world government. That was always the intention of the setting up of the United Nations and its precursor, the League of Nations, uh, a world government run on economics, population reduction from the League of Nations back at the end of World War I, followed into the UN after World War II, and they're on a roll since. So the public are not ready we're not ready, you see, to start getting called off and, and being sterilized as, as they want to eventually mandate. They said it would take maybe 50 years before they could come to full power and the public, through massive conditioning, education, brainwashing, would be ready for it. And here we are. But you know, there are no individual spy systems today. You can't keep secrets. It can't be done. That's why you know when they're going to blow up buildings way in advance, you cannot keep secrets. Everybody's infiltrated. From Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, where your gods go with you.